This morning we're continuing in this series of lessons that I'm calling Teach Us to Pray, and we're thinking about how to to grow in our prayer life, grow in those conversations with God, and to do that, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we're going to continue to do that over the next six weeks, this prayer that we find in Matthew chapter 5. We'll get there in a few minutes, but several of you I know have followed with me, and we're praying this prayer every morning at 8.30, an alarm to go off, or maybe some other time of the day, a few of you have mentioned that, or you're following along on our social media posts that give you some ideas for prayer. You can also sign up for those by email. If you have any questions, just ask me after the service and we'll get you signed up, but It's allowing us to pray together for the needs that are going on in our lives, in our church, even beyond that into our community and our country. So I encourage you to to hang with that. And last week we began this series thinking about the first line of this prayer that really calls us to understand who God is as our Father and to hear that as they would have heard it in the first century as freedom language, as God had led His people as their Father out of slavery to make them into a nation and to lead them to their own land. And we talked a little bit about that, but today I want us to move on and think about the the second line in this prayer. But to do that, let me ask you a question first. Have you ever been in a position where maybe it's all of life or there's one area of your life that is, it feels so wrecked that Like you just don't even know what to pray to God for him to do. You cannot see a solution to the problem, so you don't know what to ask God to do about it. Like if you're a parent, maybe your kids are going in the wrong direction. You don't understand why. You can't talk them out of it. It seems destructive. You're trying to pull them back, and it is not working. And you don't know what to ask God to do about it because you can't figure out how it can be fixed. Or maybe in your marriage, there's a struggle between you and your spouse and you can't come together. It seems irreconcilable as hard as you have worked and you don't know what to ask God to do. It can be in family, it can be in our finances, at work, in a relationship, a friendship that's broken, lots of things. Maybe just life itself and we just don't know what to pray about. And in those moments, sometimes what we do is we finally get down to the point that we're willing to say, God, your will be done. Like, I don't even know what to do about this, so God, you just, like, whatever you think, you do it. And sometimes that's the only way that we get to the line that Jesus prayed in this prayer, your will be done. Now, that can happen on a personal level, but it happens in larger areas as well, whether it is a church or a community or even a nation, right? I mean, what we've been through in the last two years It's unlike anything that we've lived through before. We weren't expecting it, didn't feel prepared for it, and then suddenly we were in the middle of it. And there were times when lots of us were thinking, God, I don't know how this works out. I just wish it would go away, but you just please deal with it. Your will be done. And the thing is, we're not the first ones to find ourselves in a situation in which we want to say, God, your will be done because we don't know what to do. We look back to the people who heard Jesus pray this and they looked in their history and saw what we talked about last week, God leading them out of slavery, freedom talk to say our Father in heaven. And he did that and made them into a nation, gave them a land, gave them a king, but the kings disobeyed and then the people were scattered taken off into captivity. It's almost like the, the story had come full circle and suddenly they were nearly enslaved again in captivity serving another power. Eventually allowed to come back in, in small groups and 
still ruled by vassal kings and the rotating empires that were around them. But in the midst of all that, God had prophets who spoke for him. And the message of God's prophets was, was, don't give up. God is still at work. He will send a king. He will reign on earth. There are powerful things yet to happen. But then the prophets seemed to stop speaking. And for over 400 years, by the time of Jesus, the people had not heard these promises repeated. No one was talking about the kingdom of God. No one was talking about God reigning on earth. And then came Jesus. And this is how Mark introduces Jesus' ministry. These are the first words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark. We find it in chapter 1, verse 14. After John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Here's the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. And that's what we hear Jesus saying. We hear him saying, the kingdom of God is like this. And then he tells a story that we would call a parable. And it explains what it means. But even now, we're a little lost on what that's all about. What is the kingdom of God? Or as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven. Interchangeable language. If it was so important to Jesus that the first words that we have recorded from him in the Gospel of Mark are, the kingdom of God is at hand. If it's that important, what does it mean? If that's what Jesus came to do, what are we talking about? Well, the people who heard him had some ideas about this. And those ideas came from those Old Testament prophets who had talked about a coming king. And one of the places that we look to, to see what the prophets say or in the words of the great prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah 52, he talks about this coming king. And, and we'll see from a few verses we're going to read in this chapter what he says about the coming king and what it's going to look like. He's looking forward, and, and this is the way the people will feel when they see God at work. Verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, the gospel who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, which is Jerusalem, your God reigns. God is on the move. He is sitting on the throne. The kingdom of God is being ushered in. We skip down to verse 9. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, because Jerusalem had fallen apart. For the Lord, Yahweh, has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem the Lord will lay bare His holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God is powerfully acting, Isaiah says. It's coming. And the people of God re will rejoice in this. And so it was in this consciousness that Jesus began to pray. This sense that God was waiting to act. And Jesus is saying when he prays this prayer, God is finally acting. And we see it all the way over in Matthew. We read it last week. Jesus say, to say this, this then is how you should pray. You see, he picks up right in the middle of this teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew 5 through 7, this extended teaching on prayer. And he says, this is how you do it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it, is, as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now that first, that first line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We said points to freedom, God at work. But I think it's really easy for us if we're not careful, because this is language that for many of us is pretty familiar. Like we've been saying this prayer much of our lives. And maybe you were in a church that said it every Sunday. Maybe you've made it a habit before to say this every day. The language becomes so familiar that we almost don't hear it. And these words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, almost become filler. Like, yeah, God, do something, okay? And, and that's all well and good, but we're about to get to the important stuff about food, the thing that really matters, okay? So, is it that? I really think this is at the, at the very heart of the prayer. Last week I said that this prayer in many ways encapsulates the whole ministry of Jesus. It says what he's doing and will do. And this is the heart of this prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's he talking about? I mean, the prophet said that, that God was on the move, that God was working, but in what way? Sometimes we've said the people of Jesus' day sort of misunderstood. Like they read the prophets and what they heard is there's going to be a king in Jerusalem and what he's going to do is whichever empire he shows up in, he's going to raise up an army, march on Jerusalem, throw off the oppression of that empire. And in the time of Jesus, that was, of course, Rome. And he's going to reign on the throne and he's going to, to get rid of all the enemies of the people of God. And we'll say the people in the first century were thinking of an earthly kingdom, but what Jesus really came to proclaim was, and I've probably said this, a spiritual kingdom. Okay, there's some truth in that, all right? That's not a false statement, but I don't think it really gets to the heart of what Jesus is saying here. It is a spiritual kingdom, but then remember, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if it were a spiritual kingdom, it would be your kingdom come, your will be done in our hearts as it is in heaven. That's not what Jesus says. On earth. Earth is a physical, real place where human beings live. Jesus' kingdom is not just spiritual. It's not just inside us. It is us. We are an extension of God at work physically on this earth. Now, was it exactly what the people of Israel were thinking it would be? No, it wasn't. But that doesn't mean it's not physical. Because the kingdom of God is God's reign on earth through Jesus. And if that's the case, that changes who we are because God's at work in us. The people in the first century really thought that God had forgotten his promises. They knew that it wouldn't be easy. This is the way that Isaiah describes it in verse 13. He's talking about the Messiah, talking about ultimately Jesus, and he's called the suffering servant in this passage. Verse 13, see my servant, this is going to be Jesus, will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted and that sounds great but then we get to verse 14 just as there were many who were appalled at him 
His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. And he goes on and on. How can we not think of Jesus when we hear that? I mean, what people had in mind in a coronation was someone sitting on a throne, crowned, lifted up among the people. Well, Jesus' coronation was quite different from that. Hanging on a cross, crown of thorns, robed, lifted up, but disfigured because he's been beaten near, nearly to death. This is Jesus with his kingdom being ushered in in this moment. The kingdom of God beginning. All the powerful forces of evil emptying themselves on him on the cross, thinking that they would be victorious. And then Jesus defeats them all because crucifixion was not the end. Resurrection was coming. And so the kingdom of God is ushered in in those moments. It is God's work in that. Now, the kingdom of God began then, but it is not fulfilled. So those powers of evil are ultimately defeated but their death pangs are what we experience now. So we might say, God, if you're in charge, you're not doing such a great job because there's some bad stuff still going on. It's not fulfilled. When Jesus returns, the kingdom will be fulfilled. But God is already at work. It's an already, not yet kind of thing. God, God at work today in our world, but not in the way that he will be in the end, but using us but when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done, he's not saying we're going to do it. The great New Testament scholar Christopher Stendhal said, when we pray this prayer, it asks for the establishment of the kingdom of God by God for us. Not by us, for God. God is the prime mover here. God is the one at work. Now, God has chosen to use us. God has chosen to involve us in this process. We share in it. When we proclaim truth and justice and we love people and we forgive people and we show compassion and we, and we seek out true beauty in our world, we are participating with God in His reign among us. You see, as Christians, we are not saying that we have some spiritual pointers that no one else has. A little better spirituality than everything else that's, everything else that's out there. We are saying... We are participating with God in His reign on earth that will be completed, fulfilled when Jesus comes back. When Jesus returns and we are with God for eternity. So, the lesson for us is that in prayer we're calling for God's way over every other way. Whether it's something that I've dreamed up or you have or you know, the thing is, we can come up with all kinds of plans. A lot of times when we have a problem in our lives, we know how to fix it. And the only time we ever get to the your will be done thing is when we can't figure out how to fix it. It's like, okay, well, God, your will be done. That's not what this prayer is about. This prayer is about saying, God, I have plans. I think I know how my life should run. I think I know the goals that I should set. I think I know how the, the church should be run, how my job should be run. I think I know how my family should be run. Guess what? I've got to say, God, it's your plan over my plan. Even if I think I'm right, I'm saying I'm going to follow God's plan. And I'm going to pray about it. And I'm going to ask him to do that, even when I think I know how things should roll. This week I was talking to one of the ladies in our church, and I asked her if I could share this, and she said yes, but I didn't want to tell her name. 
But she and her husband, because of advanced age, are dealing with some pretty serious health issues and, and they're dealing with decisions that have to be made about what the future holds and it's really hard. And they've been apart from one another because of these health problems and it's just difficult. And she says, I just, you know, I just want to be with him, but I'm just praying for God's will to be done. I just want God's will to be done. And when she said that, I thought, if I were her, if I'm in her shoes, what I want is for my husband to get better and to be home. But what she said was, I want God's will to be done. That's what this prayer is all about. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we submit ourselves completely to what God wants. And when we pray this prayer, we're doing that submission. Because we're saying, God, your kingdom, your will, as if we were in heaven. That's how I want it to be. And so when we pray this prayer, we're praying for each other. And we're giving thanks to God and we're encouraging truth and what is right and compassion and forgiveness and true beauty in ourselves, in our families, in our community, in our church, in our nation, in our world. Not the way I've defined it, but how God has defined it. Let's pray together. God, we pray for your kingdom, your will, as if this were heaven right here among us. Over all the stuff that we might have planned, over all the stuff that we might want, we pray for that. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to continue to worship.